Turkey hunting is one of my favorite things. And one of the key tools I use for turkey hunting is the Onyx Hunt Map. I use it incessantly when I'm hunting turkeys. Being able to find a new piece of public or gaining permission on private opens up opportunities for gobblers. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you this spring. Use the code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt. You'll find more birds this season. I'm telling you, I rely on Onyx Hunt when I'm hunting turkeys. It is an invaluable turkey hunting tool. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your stop before attending your next concert. All Tacova's boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. Yeah, Steve, they're very comfortable, they're very fashionable, and I enjoy wearing mine around the office and anywhere I go. Stop by your local Tacova's store, have a complimentary drink, and shop new styles. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com, and find your new favorite pair of boots today. If you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco, and want to join the Black Buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states. Or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Okay, uh, Mitch Petrie, I want to return to something we were talking about before we turn the machine on. Um, did you say that musky fishing in minnesota is called the fish of a ten thousand casts yeah not just are you minnesota, guys but is oh not just in minnesota, not just so minnesota i thought maybe you're right. confusing that with the state Ten thousand lakes yeah uh, yeah so it's know, just a number that was stuck in someone's head right now they say the fish of ten thousand casts i've heard that that's as just well. a known thing yeah um but the way we do it it's not the fish of ten thousand casts the the fish i would tell you it's evolved over the last five years the lake woke fish on has uh zebra mussels and a lot of milfoil uh so the water clarity has really improved mm -hmm. and the muskies have moved a little deeper five years ago uh, there's hazards all over the lake and um the fish will there's always fish at these hazards not always the same fish but the structure is so perfect we could just go and you would have a musky encounter almost guaranteed they you, say, you don't want to say the name of the lake it's not a secret there's no secrets uh in it's lake minnetonka in there's it's no in, secrets in musky fishing no it's uh it, which is funny because you'll see guys out there that you'll they'll post photos and they'll delete the back the backdrop so people don't know where they are but it's like well you can figure out where they are for the most part but uh no it's it's a great musky lake and it's under a fair amount there's a lot of pressure but there's a lot of fish I think the DNR estimates there's a thousand trophy muskies in Lake Minnetonka. What trophy. makes what makes a trophy muskie? Fifty inches. Fifty inches. That's what we're going for tonight. Fifty inch muskie. Wow. Yeah. Wow is right. Yeah. Now are there all kinds of northerns mixed in with these muskies? There are northerns and bass. This the lake it's, it's an amazing lake and it's twenty five minutes from downtown Minneapolis. Hence the pressure. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, in your lifetime, how many muskies have you caught? Fifteen. You, I've only been doing it for. Have you been counting your casts on a golf clicker? I haven't. You need a golf clicker that yeah, goes really high. Yeah, yeah, I haven't. But uh, I, I had a I had a, a young uh, young guy who worked for me was a, a muskie guru, and he got me into it. My boss at the time, a guy named Ron Chera, who was a local writer, he wrote the Outdoor Beat for the Minneapolis Star Tribune for forty years. His advice to me when he heard that I was getting into muskie fishing was to take all my muskie gear and destroy it before it ruins my marriage because mm-hmm. that's kind of what musky fishing does and it sucks because you can't catch them you can't right. fish, yeah, exactly. you can't, can't master it right my yeah. maternal grandfather was a very avid musky fisherman yeah he would fish northern wisconsin yeah it's that's a it's a, a great place for it as well that's he probably would, the he, epicenter. Was, he was a live bait musky fisherman as i think probably most people were back then right sure we we use live baits here in the fall so as the season goes on, the muskies start uh, eating bigger, bigger baits, and then in the fall they'll uh, we do a we slow troll suckers, live suckers, like twenty inch suckers. Whoa, it's pretty cool because um, it's like fishing halibut. Yeah, and you're just sitting, and you're watching, you watch the tip of your rod, it will start bobbing, and then it, you go, you feed it line, and then and because the muskie once they get it in their mouth, it's not like a, a trout or something. If they feel it doesn't feel right, they spit it out right away. That once they taste that meat in their mouth, it's on my bucket list. I haven't done it, um, but I've I've seen it on on like YouTube. Um, muskies will take the sucker, and they won't have the hooks in their mouth. But guys will you'll boat the fish, and they're just holding on to the live sucker. They don't even have a hook in their mouth, but they're yeah. not. They won't let go of it. So. Yeah, because they got the like in northern, they got those back angled. They got yeah, those the teeth that lock. That yeah, it's kind of meant when they grab something, man. It's like it's, it's going to rip when you pull it out. Right? Yeah, it's not like that's not a two way street. No, we heard that same thing about the link cod, right? Yeah, a couple weeks oh, ago. Oh, that's real. Yeah, you hear all. I haven't seen it happen, but anyone that spends a ton of time fishing them talks about catching them that aren't hooked. Yeah, and then people are always catching them on catching link cod latched onto another lingcod, latched onto a rockfish, latched onto a pink salmon. Sure. He just comes up in the boat. We do a lot of fishing in northern Minnesota and uh, walleye fishing and a lot of stories of northern pike smacking a walleye as you're, as you're bringing it in. Yeah. Same deal. They'll, they'll hold on to that pretty good, too. I have brought in northerns that were on something else and not hooked. And in fact, uh, not too long ago, my little boy caught a largemouth on a bluegill and got it up in the boat into a pontoon boat. Yeah, and that thing wasn't hooked. That's funny. Just holding on. Yeah, I've had been bass fishing with little plastic worms, and I've had sunfish holding on to the worm, not hooked, come into the boat. That way. yeah, he's ready for a big fight. Yeah. Uh, not here to talk about. Not here at all to talk about muskies. But uh, lifelong Minnesotan. Yes, sir. Born and raised. Born and raised. Um, Minnesota's. Um, where my family is i've lived overseas but i always came back here and um i told my boss minnesota's a a hard place to recruit people to to come live here because probably the winters but it's a hard place to recruit from as well i think you know we have we have four seasons summers are relatively short but you know you get a good spring and a good fall and um yes there's over ten thousand lakes which i thought was a pretty big deal till i went to saskatchewan and there's like a hundred thousand up there uh but we have a very, very good, you know, it's a little bit, you know, I do a lot of work in Colorado and, you know, and out west, great outdoor lifestyle. Minnesota has a little bit of that, just no mountains, but a lot of lakes. 
A lot of water. A lot of water. Also, oh, uh, real quick, also joined by Ryan Callahan. Who's in it? You're, you're, um, just coming from the outdoor reelers, retailers, reelers, retailers. (laughs) Yeah, outdoor retailer. Yeah. Um, also in Denver. Pretty good time. Fish out of water or no? No, not at all. There's not a super hunting crowd over there. You know, oddly enough, so I wouldn't, uh, I was invited to kind of talk about hunting on a, on a public panel, uh, at the winter session, um, with, uh, folks from REI, Patagonia, um, you know, on this big public forum and it was kind of intimidating, but, uh, after we got done with that panel, I can't tell you how many people came up and they're like, man, that was great. And, uh, you know, just so you know, I'm a hunter too. And then, and like, I, I like, Psst, buddy. yeah, it was, <laughs> yes, it was. Um, and then, and I, I really like this trade show because it, because it's not hunting specific. I can just kind of lurk around and actually check things out. And, and um, you know, the hunting community is so small. You're always running into people you know constantly. You can't ever get anything done. So, um, but. You could just enjoy your uh, anonymity. Yep. And look at product. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but this, I got stopped a ton. Um a lot of meat eater fans, lots of folks that, that listen to the podcast, lots of seemed like um, old Dirt Myth was was there as well, um, and we checked out a couple of you know different companies for you know the stuff that we use all the time, um, sleeping bags and pads and boots and and every stop, somebody in the booth would like break away from the conversation they were having, come over and be like, hey. You thank you guys so much for what you're doing. Like, love the show. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, was super cool. and this is the one that pulled. This is the, um, this is what we're here to talk about either. But just real quick, outdoor retailers is the one that that in protest of public lands issues out of Utah. Like, it's outdoor retailers that pulled out and went to Denver, right? Yes, it had traditionally been in Salt Lake City. Yeah, it's been in Salt Lake for a long time, um, and. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, in an effort to sway Governor Herbert at the time on uh, a lot of their beliefs on uh, monuments specifically, the rescinding of Bears Ears and Grand Staircase Escalante, um, they were leveraging with this giant check, this huge revenue stream that would come into Salt Lake City. Yeah. And if you've ever been to the Salt Palace in Salt Lake City, you know, most of those hotels and stuff down there didn't exist prior to that show. And so they said, well, we're, we're going to pull out if you guys support this. And then they actually did it. And they, they actually did it. Yeah. Which, you know, it's, there's a real strong argument there that if you want to make some change, you got to stick around, not take your ball and go home too. So, um, it's not as per usual. It's not a cut and dry uh, situation. Yeah. So I, I heard on the some feedback because I was in Denver yesterday as well that um, maybe last year or two years ago there was like no camo at outdoor retailer and this year it seemed like I heard every booth a lot of products 
I think Otterbox has had a big presence there this year. Yeah. Uh, a lot of camouflage at outdoor retailer. Like cool kids snowboarding type camo? Like squig- squiggly line camo. Like, I'm you not, mean like I camo there. because it's like part of the snowboarding, kind of came out of the snowboarding scene or like uh, camo like for like hiding from stuff? Winter OR, um, you know, your ski brands. Sure enough, the, the, you know, camo is is uh hip you know but it's so it's not stuff that you would see traditionally in the hunting space for the most part um but uh summer or there's definitely like a little bit more you know a lot of people don't realize it but these uh outdoor research patagonia um lots of these big brands also do military business yeah and you know that if if you're looking you can see some of that stuff sitting on on the displays as well so yeah arcteryx or patagonia all do military contracting yes and well, yeah that, and that stuff people. goes to the real that, that stuff goes to the dudes who are kicking down doors in places man yeah no yeah. i mean this isn't stuff that the general army's buying for everybody yeah. this yeah how about did, did you see any fishing camo because i came off of icast a few weeks ago and and now everything's there's a lot of fishing camel patterns yeah. and that has a you know, it's a life you, you don't need camel we, we won't be wearing camo tonight when or at least not fishing camo uh when we fish but i end up wearing a decent amount of camo when i'm fishing just because i don't like having yeah, you're ac- you're yeah. accidentally cool <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, no but it, that, we saw a lot of fishing um camo at is it like a blue like lots of light blues and yeah, whites and, some of it looks like water squiggly yeah. lines and Orvis, looks like Orvis does some stuff in camel sims yeah. has some camel stuff yeah i have an l.o bean shirt that has a kind of a cool might wear it tonight actually all right yeah i just got an email from a dude uh i, I need to read it more carefully but this guy was kind of saying that he had he said yeah i don't wear a camel anymore because it's uh politically too divisive hmm. i remember thinking like i feel like right now that's not the case no, there was a lot of cool kid camo, a lot of skinny jean camo. Like, yeah. Um, and also, uh, Janice Poodles, Giannis. Got an email the other day from a guy who said his wife's name's Janice, but she spells it J A N I C E. And I need to write him back and clarify that it's, in fact, Giannis. Please do that. I will. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> all right uh mitch uh mitch petrie tell uh tell everyone what you do for a living i'm a vice president of programming for the outdoor sportsman group networks which are outdoor channel sportsman's channel and the world fishing network so if you've got a question about what what in the world is the world of outdoor tv this is the man it's fair to say you know more about it than maybe anyone at this particular moment, let's say, uh, yeah, I I wouldn't say I know more than anyone, but I have a pretty unique perspective on what I know based on all the interactions that I have. I was a producer for ten years before I joined the network. Like produced the TV show, produced TV shows. I did Wardens in Montana. That was uh, uh, one of the for my first breakout hits that got me on the radar of the network, at least. Um, Wardens gets talked about every time I go home. Because we were always right around the Sun River Game Range. Yeah, and there was that episode with the shed antler and the uh, like. The radio, the radio. Yep. Uh, they put little radio um, controllers in the antler so they can track down. We got some pretty cool stories, and we told a lot of them on Warden. So uh, we did that for six years in Montana. 
What channel was that on? That wasn't on sports. Outdoor Channel. It was on Outdoor. Yeah. Oh. yeah, it still is, in fact. We've actually moved it from Montana to Michigan. Um, so it's still going strong. I think we've had probably 150 episodes. Are you yeah. involved with it? Yeah, I'm still. Are you still? I think I'm, officially, I'm still the executive producer. Um, I uh, started it with uh, with a former partner, a guy named Steve Puppy, who got me into television back in the day. He was um, former Hunter Specialties um, road warrior, so he had a HS truck and would go and do um, you know, uh, work trade shows and work uh, different retail with different retailers. And, Hunter uh, Specialties, the game calls. Yeah, yeah. and then he did a, a DVD, which was probably a VHS at the time. So you want to be a bow hunter. Or so you want to be a turkey hunter, and he was a, I think it was national. He was a Minnesota state uh, champion turkey caller. Anyway, he he started his own TV show, and my wife and I got involved with that, and that's how I got dabbling into uh, into TV. Coming and out of software sales. Coming out of software sales in France. Yeah, and yeah, I lived yeah lived in France and in Australia. Worked for um. A, a manufacturer. My, my wife will tell you uh, she married a computer geek and who evolved into a redneck. Because I mean, I have, I've, I've fished my entire life. I did some pheasant hunting and small game hunting as a kid, you know, from like thirteen on. But I've just always been a fisherman. Um, but it, it just kind of went away. We went overseas and we didn't just didn't do that very much. We came back and and now she's lost me to uh, fishing and hunting. So. Um. So you so you went when you were producing the show though you weren't you weren't working with the net, you weren't working with Outdoor Channel Sportsman nope. Channel. Uh we had a uh production company called Muddy Boot Productions and we just we did um, So you sold the show. Or, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know that's that's one of the first things I want to ask to explain when people wonder about uh people wonder about like outdoor TV or people call it hunting TV. Can you explain, because okay, there's different ways in which, the like there's different business models by which the networks will engage with shows, where you have shows that networks own, so you have shows that places like Outdoor Channel, Sports Channel will own, there's shows that they license, and then there's, then there's a thing called time buys. Can you walk people through what a time buy is? Sure. Yeah. And I've looked for other examples of, television networks similar to ours and that time by model exists on a smaller scale in some places but for the most part hunting television has is is just unique where well it but it, a time by model would be like an infomercial show or channel right you know, yeah exactly you could do yeah. that but um or like the golf channel you could buy time on the golf channel okay. but most of their programming is owned by the golf channel um the 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 way television evolved is um you know the networks create this platform you know they negotiate with the carriers to to be in you know millions of homes and before my time they just went out to producers who wanted to were starting to film their hunts and just wanted to um put them somewhere so the network would essentially sell them commercial time um and sell them a 30 minute block and they would get five minutes of commercials and um that's kind of how that model was born so it's still probably 80 percent 80 to 90 percent of our business are independent producers looking for a place to air their content so we have it's a, still 80 percent yeah yeah and at a time it was 100 percent right right so what happened as things evolved uh in the network start to grow and the affiliates you know want different things um 
the network started investing in its own content so that we could like wardens was an original program uh, original production that we produced for outdoor channel um it didn't fit that time by model where we couldn't go out and get endorsement deals we didn't have a host we had game wardens that we were following so we couldn't fund the production but i mean that's the ba- the, the essence of the time by model is you create a show we air it on our network. You get commercial inventory. You sell commercials or other things to your sponsors to fund the production and to pay for your airtime. But a lot of companies, there's a lot of companies who look at doing a time buy as basically as a marketing spend for the company. Right. Right. One of the shows I produced um, as an independent um, was Fox Pro Fur Takers. It's a predator hunting show. And so, you know, that's their brand, Fox Pro. Um, they're hunting anyways, so they started filming and, you know, we did real high quality production. And yeah, for them, it's a marketing expense. They also brought in some sponsors, uh, to help underwrite it. But at the end of the day, you know, they weren't making a profit on their TV show, but it was a perfect platform to get their message out, um, you know, to a, to a mass audience. And, and that's what, that's what our networks deliver are a built in, audience who is you know knows what to expect when they turn on the tv and watch sportsman's channel so when a company let's say you play and i don't let's just say like take a place like cabela's or bass pro or or any retailers manufacturers they'll do the time they'll do the time by and then of course they their block of time they have their half hour segment has the show in it so they're making an actual show but it also has ad units so there are companies that will they'll, they'll come in and uh use some of the ad units to draw the connection to their own brand. Right. But then they might also go and have ad units that are used by other outside partners of theirs. Exactly. You know, Bass Pro Shops has um, productions. They have their own production operation. So they buy time from us, for example, for the Bass Pros on Outdoor Channel. So yes, you know, they run Bass Pro and now Cabela's spots in that show, but they'll also run, well, and they'll do, they've got other brands too, so the Nitro Boats, but they might do a Mercury um, commercial in it, or they may even have, um, you know, specific, you know, Strike King or something as a sponsor of the show. So even though the retailer owns the show, uh, they have a team that will go out and sell it. And the NRA does the same thing. Like we have an NRA show, American Rifleman, um, that the NRA owns and produces. They have their own production operation, but they go out and sell a lot of advertising around that. And then they have a magazine that supports the production as well. Yeah. And another thing that happens, and this is, I think, where th- this is what's a little bit more interesting, is the other thing that happens is an individual can go and build a show. Right. Because I think there's a lot of people who like are like, how do how does one have like how does a person get a hunting show, right? And I think that there's probably like the path. I don't want to say it's the path of least resistance financially because there's a ton of resistance financially. It's a lot of work to put it together. But like lay out how a person, like an individual, not a big company, how an individual goes and creates a show and finances a show. Yeah, it's. Um it's evolved a little bit because it, the barrier to entry has gotten a little bit higher. But you know, ten years ago, um, it was a, you know a guy who loves to hunt, um, has a buddy who knows who knows how in, in air brackets how to film or how to edit, and they just you know they and everybody thinks they're interesting and entertaining, so they're gonna they're gonna do their hunting show. Um, and there are a lot of shows that got that started that way, but the networks started raising the standard of quality, and and you have to start. You know, 
buying better equipment and hiring more talented people and, and evolve. But there's a lot of people that just started with that dream of wanting to wanting to to hunt. They watched you know Bill Jordan on TV and uh, uh, TNT 30 years ago and and wanted to be that. Now there's a lot of people that you know want to be the next Michael Waddell, and so there's still that that dream of just buying a camera and buying a, a Mac and, and cutting a show. Uh, going and getting a bunch of sponsors right. and selling advertisement space. And But th- that's, I think that's, I, when I advise people early on, because you know, we get a lot of inquiries, and I usually tell them, you, know, you, have, you have to probably plan to spend upwards of $500,000 to get a show off the ground, to do it right, to have the production values, and to build a brand to the point where, advertisers want to be a part of it. And that's probably the biggest mistake the um, aspiring outdoor TV personalities make is these brands are not interested in funding your lifestyle. They're they're interested in moving product. So some of the best in, in TV have been the most successful, I should say, have, you know, have understood that, you know, guys like Pat Reeve from Driven TV, he's been doing this for 30 years. He knows at the end of the day, if, if his show, if he's not using product properly and not over, not overselling it, you know, not, it's not to the point where you raise suspicions. Right, exactly. And, and it's, it's, it's a battle that, that I fight, um, because I get it. You you need to satisfy your, your sponsors and your advertisers, but you're also, you know, you don't want to, oversell viewers can smell the cell you know we'd i'd rather see them just use a product properly than say hey look at this you know thingamajig i'm using here and this is making me you know kill more deer or bigger deer whatever viewers get that they they just want to see the success so so we we try to minimize the commercial elements in a show but you know that's what's funding that but like i said i think the biggest mistake the youth are making is they feel like oh these there's there's no brands out there that you know their mission is to help somebody else you know pay for their hunting it's they want to move product so and that's what we're that's a lot of our content inspires people to get out and hunt and and you know they they learn a lot from you know on new products and how to use them and use them properly so increasingly you guys want to be i mean coming from the network perspective you want to be in a situation where you're saying like sure you're buying space from our network but there's some parameters around this right like Like i'll I'll sell yeah i'll sell it to you on the condition that your product meets a certain threshold of quality right and and that too has evolved because you know outdoor channel has um has had very high standards um for the better part of a decade where and, and we've we've been sold out for the most part for the past 15 years so we can discriminate a little bit about you know what kind of content we're we're willing to take oh for, for how for 50 you say for 15 years you haven't had to like worry about how you're gonna fill that spice that space up not known in, in fact in in absolute in prime time you know i don't have a lot of flexibility because i've got a lot of long time shows that have owned those time slots for a long time and and have been very successful um you know for us and for them that that's i say a lot. I'm in the business of creating these mutually beneficial relationships. We have all of these assets and investments in our networks and building our audience so that when the show, when Meat Eater comes on, you know it's going gonna, it's gonna to reach that audience. Um, and then the producer needs to go out and be successful in selling that time to their sponsors to fund it. And if, if they're not successful, then we're not going to be successful. But yeah, we've been sold out for the better part of a decade. When we were emailing, you mentioned... Uh 
you you mentioned the good, the bad, and the ugly of outdoor television. What do you mean by that? Uh, when I took this job, you know, I, I had um, you know a vision and and really a goal to to leave hunting and fishing, not just hunting and fishing intelligent, but in a better place than than uh, than when I when I came into it. Um, but there's a lot of masters, you know, and there's a lot of you know. Um, people have very specific tastes in what they like. And so, you know, we have some producers who are, um, you know, loud and, and, um, and great characters and they tend to, uh, draw a, a good audience, but they also draw detractors. And so I'll have, you know, people, Oh, you need to get rid of that show because of that. Or I'm, I'm only into, uh, you know, Western archery hunting. I don't want to, I don't you know care about, you know, Midwest deer and, and guys whispering in the tree. So, um, and, and yeah, so I have to program the network to reach a broad audience, whether it's, you know, we have upland shows and not everybody, you know, and we have archery shows. And so I'll get, the ugly thing is I get all the viewer feedback, although social media is evolving some of that. Now, most people just go to the show pages and start bashing and that, but, um, they're less likely to call you now. I mean, if someone wants to, we have a uh, feedback form on our website and so I'll get it. But so if somebody wants to send feedback, they have to go to our website. It's not hard to find. They find the form, they fill it out and they have to answer a couple questions and they, so, so by the time I get that kind of feedback, I'm dealing with somebody who's passionate about it. And, um, you know, we, we respond to viewer feedback and I'll personally respond. If someone has, is critical, as long as they're respectful, I'm happy to, to respond. What would be an example of a criticism that would come in? You mean, those people being dissatisfied with something they saw? Right. On Outdoor Channel, we, uh, we're running, uh, some syndicated shows. We're running, uh, Wicked Tuna right now, which is an awesome show if you've, you haven't know, followed yeah. Wicked Tuna. Um, and we did Deadliest Catch and Duck Dynasty. And Duck Dynasty, uh, a lot of our people, the core audience, hunt, hunting audience, don't they don't like Duck Dynasty. But the, That surprised me to hear when someone, someone who's very familiar with that show was explaining that it wasn't, it's not hunters. Hunters weren't watching that show as much. Right. So the, the idea, so like I said, we have, we have many masters and we work with uh, affiliates, you know, uh, Dish, DirecTV, Comcast, all the major carriers. And this hunting market is not expanding the, the, the financial side. The, you know, there's a finite amount of money in this market. It wasn't getting bigger. Hunting, it's debatable. You know, numbers are, are declining or participation is declining. So as a, uh, for our, our company to succeed and for our producers to succeed, we had an initiative to try to expand our audience. We had research that showed that people who maybe don't participate in hunting or fishing, but like outdoor adventure programming, like Deadliest Catch, like Duck Dynasty, um, we called them, uh, like it's a primary attainable audience for us. So that's why we brought in Duck Dynasty. They have this huge brand, whether you like the show or not, the, the brand recognition for Duck Dynasty back in the day was like 98% of the general public were aware of Duck Dynasty. And we were the first network to syndicate it. And it brought in new audience. We, we can show. We've done research. We've seen the numbers. So it actually helped us grow our audience and helps us maintain our distribution. But if I'm a whitetail hunter uh, from Iowa, I don't want to watch Duck Dynasty or you know fake reality TV or whatever it is. So you want to learn how to kill big giant bucks. That's it. And yeah, yeah and the reality is this: um, uh, the hunting market is driven by deer, and the fishing market is driven by bass. 
So really, yeah. My impression of how hunting, t- my impression of how people watched hunting TV, probably isn't correct. But my idea was that people watched it like how people watch the news, where there's people that just have it on, and they just watch what's there. But you're saying that people, like the viewers, cherry pick. They're like, I watch that show. I don't watch that show. You, I wa- you know why? I, I th- one of the biggest, and this wasn't from research, but just from talking to people. Most of our viewers, you know, they're, they're, they're hardcore. So if you're watching hunting, it's because you're really like, you're in, into hunting. And I think they judge the shows they watch mostly by if they would want, if they would want to be in camp with the talent. Mm-hmm. You know, I, um, I, I hunted last year with Roger Raglan, who's been in uh, the business for 30 years. And, and part of it was because as I, when I watch Roger Raglan on TV, I want to experience, what it's like uh, to be in a camp with Roger Raglan. And that's a lot of the feedback. You, you, you get it in social media as well. So, you know, Michael Waddell is, oh, I wish I could hunt with Kip Campbell from Red Arrow. So, so you know, and there are guys that, that don't appeal to certain people. So I think when they watch it, they're like, yeah. I'm, it's, it's like almost, I can't hunt now, but I'm going to be watching these guys hunt. And that's, that's how they pick the shows they like. Spring is a great time to do something with your family. Do some spring cleaning, which I kind of started today outside. Planning outdoor activities, which I'm always doing. Taking a little trip to Hawaii with your kids for spring break, which I just did, which was great. You know what else you can do for your family this spring? You can shop for life insurance with Policy Genius. Make that part of your financial planning for the year. I've said it before a thousand times. I'll say it again. When my wife and I, when we started having kids, we got serious about life insurance. And man, I felt so much better after we did. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just 292 bucks per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs, and it may not follow you if you leave your job. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com. Or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Applying for tags each year in the West can be daunting. Yeah, I apply for everything everywhere. It's daunting. You have to go to a variety of sources to formulate your best guess as to where to apply. Well, this is a thing of the past now. Onyx just launched Hunt Research Tools to simplify the process for all hunters. This tool helps organize the data that matters, makes comparing hunt options easy, and helps hunters develop a plan based on real metrics rather than gut feelings. OnX Hunt also offers all elite members a free digital membership to Hunt and Fool, who I use, for boots on the ground insight and knowledge, and a membership to Hunt Reminder so you never miss another deadline. Stop stressing over application season and apply with confidence in 2024. Check out OnX Hunt Research Tools, free for all OnX Hunt Elite members. Not an elite member? Well, let's fix that. Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt. This is an app I use literally every day. I use it for every aspect of hunting, scouting, trapping, you name it. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacovas is your stop before attending your next concert. Tacovas 
has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. And Tacova's has first wear comfort, meaning you put them on, they feel great. Little or no break-in, period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, their direct-to-consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Just ask my buddy Chili, who's been slipping around in his Tacova boots, talking about how great he feels in them. He loves them. Yeah, Steve, they're very comfortable. They're very fashionable. And I enjoy wearing mine around the office and anywhere I go around Bozeman. Stop by your local Tacova store. Have a complimentary drink and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it to a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And find your new favorite pair of boots today. What are some of the... um of the uh kind of like the famous talent pool right yeah. what are like do you got people that you look forward to them calling and then hosts that you really don't look forward to them calling kind of like right because you're you're communicating with all these people a lot is, of is there people. a chance any of them will hear this no no okay good so so no. <laughs> um i started as a producer and um and, and had my own company. So I've, I've run a small business and most of our producers are small business owners and I've walked that path. It's not easy. So I, I go into whether I like somebody personally or connect with them as a friend, or whatever, I, I go into almost all of the conversations with a certain amount of respect for what they're doing, growing their business. You know, we have producers who have, you know, 10, 15 employees. And it's, you know, so they're, they're very passionate about hunting and, and the business. So, so yes, there are times when I, my phone rings and, um, I wouldn't say I cringe. But it's like, okay, and I'm, you know, I, I, the biggest problem I have is I, I don't, I can have three things I need to get done in a day and um, my day will be hijacked by like 8.15 and Mondays are the worst because something will come up over the weekend and so I'll, I'll get a call and they're, they're, they're all important calls so I, I try to take them all as I can but it's hard to get through um, but I, we definitely have characters in, in the lineup and um, um there's there's none I don't there's none that I dislike but definitely have those that are just a hoot. I, I I'm, hoot. I'm a yeah I'm a, I'm a sucker for you know people with passion. So when you know, and so I, I like I had a conversation today with Mark Zona. He's a bass fishing guy. Zona's awesome fishing show, and the guy he's hardcore. He is intense. He's an amazing. That's what it's called. Zona's awesome Zona's awesome fishing, fishing show. I like the guy already. He you know, he's a Chicago guy. He lives in Michigan, but he's um, just a great character, and um, and he's he's somewhat polarizing too. To you know, some people don't like his style because he's you know, dude. He's a he says dude a lot, but it's but he's authentic and. I'm drawn to that in our talent. I like our ta- I like talent who are the same off camera and on camera. Yeah, because you know, at some point it's hard to. I, I don't want to know. It's like, oh, I'm this on camera guy or the. It's most of our our hosts are authentic. You know, and, uh, and I like that. And you know, like so we work with Ted Nugent, and um, uh, to explain Ted, and I've worked closely with him. He's in a, a league of his own. I mean, he's a rock star. He's a hunting TV star. He's like literally a, a rock NRA, star. Yeah. And, and I mean, Ted has, um, 
there's, there's nobody can do what Ted does. I mean, people think they might be able to do it, but to go on to CNN and take on Pierce Morgan and, and win, just be Ted, you, you can't, I, I've met Ted and I've met Donald Trump now, and you can't connect with these guys. Like we can connect, we can connect over fishing. We can connect over food. We can connect over Ted is just, he's so driven. And that, that dude works harder than any human being I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, he still does like 200 and, 200 concerts a year and he hunts like 340 days a year. It's like, seriously, I mean, he's, he is just always out doing something. Um, and he's, and he's passionate. So, um, we had a, we, we did something as a network that Ted didn't appreciate. And he called me one day and, um, told me that. And for 15 minutes, he told me that. And I was like, man, and he was, he was, um, in a very, in a very, very spirited, very quickly spoken, articulate fashion. Yeah, no, <laughs> and, and, no, he, exactly. And, and it wasn't bad. And he was not, not disrespectful, but I was like going, man, most people, if you want to hear Ted Nugent go off like this, you have to find it on YouTube. I'm like one on one on the phone. I wish I could have recorded it because he's, he's brilliant that way. And, um, so that, you know, I enjoy, I enjoy working, uh, with Ted and, um, and, but he's, he's one of the most unique talents on our network. So when you're when you're fitting out like the programming, right? Do you picture like walking into a big sporting goods store where you're like, oh, the, here's the fishing section. Make sure the fishing's okay. Yeah. And then here's my, you know, like warm water. Where, yeah. Oh, right. here's upland over here. Here's uh, camping. Here's big game hunting. Here's the waterfowl. Yeah. Like, do you do you try to keep all that in mind and make sure that you're not missing? anything or could or do you want to realize now and then that you have like a big hole I, you know i inherited first of all you know this the the, the lineup essentially in the schedule and i have a, a a peer who i work with um katie gladstone who actually does the scheduling so she's more analytical on the on the schedule and she's looking at ratings um but the business the time by business has really established a lot of that for us where seasonally there's um there's less demand in TV, hunting TV in first and second quarter. So fishing kind of built up in first and second quarter. And then the retail uh, cycles, because hunting retail, you know, it's mostly like September, October, November. So that's when the retailers and the advertisers want to be in there. So the, the market has kind of driven some of that schedule. And then, yes, we will do... Um, We'll focus more at whitetail or big game in prime time in third and fourth quarter. Uh, but, you know, weekend mornings have become fishing, uh, pretty much year round. Um, weekend afternoons are very good, um, day parts for us. Um, so we will run waterfowl, upland, some of the non big game in those time slots. So it has kind of, it has kind of filtered out that way much like you do see in a retail store because you're chasing people's interest or you're chasing because you because you're chasing what people let me put this a different way so you're timing it out because that's where the advertising dollars are for producers are you timing it out because some guys like i'm hunting deer in a week i want to watch about deer now and i don't want to watch about deer in may right because in may i want to watch about fishing right yes our, our viewership grows uh, viewers watch when they're actually participating so, so there's like a real feedback between what a person's ex- what a person's experiencing and what they're wishing to watch. Right. Yeah. Or like if they're mentally preparing for their hunting season, they'll start watching more hunting. 
And then while they're but what about dudes watching wardens? They're not like saying like I'm going to be getting busted by a warden next week. No, warden wardens was a bit of an anomaly. It um, and you know we think it was successful because it had such a broad appeal. Like in the story packages were smaller. You know, they were only like five minute segments. Like you might not be interested in uh, the, you know, antler hunting on a game range, but that was only five minutes. The next one is going to be, you know, some guy shooting an elk decoy. And that was kind of interesting. So, yeah, because it's like an ensemble type yeah. show that follows these right. bunch of different people. As opposed to, you know, if, you know, trout fishing is historically hasn't rated very well. And so if, um, but, if you're a trout fisherman, you got some of that on wardens or, and everybody's had their own warden encounters or warden stories. And, and when we were in Montana and now we're in Michigan, those are both great states. I mean, Montana's a, a very unique state in terms of its resources. So we had viewers just wanted to learn about Montana and the wardens were great characters there too. So, um, they, uh, it just had broad appeal. If you, may, if you were going to go look at all the, Let's just say all the hunting content, so remove fishing content, mm-hmm. all the hunting content from Outdoor Channel and Sportsman Channel, what percent of all of that content is driven by the white-tailed deer? Mm. It's probably 60%. Wow. Yeah. You like that, Yanni, huh? It's the first thing you've said. <laughs> I can't believe it. Yeah. 60%. I would have thought higher. I would have thought a little higher. Whitetails and turkeys, though. What's that? Yeah, what's the, what's seventy five percent? So what's I mean, number two next to whitetails? Um, we do a lot of elk, so a lot of a lot of big game, um, and some of the asp- like moose. So yeah, it, it's big game. I think people big, like the, people like to watch a moose show, right? Yeah, Jim Shockey will tell you that you know his ratings they they bump every time he does a big Yukon moose. So um, and that's aspirational. We see a lot of that. You know, there's not a lot of people who participate in sheep hunting or goat hunting, but they'll watch it on TV because it's well, one. One thing's interesting, though. Y- your show is uh, very different, I think. But um, a lot of times, like the the big international destinations, and I'm not talking Africa. I'm not, but like you know, hunting in the Himalayas or or as uh, Michael Waddell accused uh, Jim Shockey of hunting red bearded j- devil goats in Djibouti <laughs> or something like that. It doesn't really drive you know viewership because you know your your average joe can't relate wants to see deer or they can relate to a moose or they can relate to an elk even if they don't participate now because it's in their it's in their like their, it is, it's, it's in their like deer. spatial awareness man it's right, like a thing right. that one could feasibly go do right and people will watch you'll watch some sheep shows or some of the, like the ibex shows or because the destinations are really cool and and it's it's kind of out there but they, it you know it, it's it people they're not they're not driven like they are for deer hunting yeah i like shocky though man he's a good dude he's a he's a very very interesting guy really really uh really nice guy authentic too so last year um he came into our booth at the archery trade show just to say hi and um i was had a brief conversation with him within 30 seconds there's somebody standing next to him waiting to tell him a story or meet him or do something he was there for like three hours meeting his fans and talking to people he didn't do an appear wasn't a scheduled appearance it wasn't it just you know just you know loving it and yeah uh, people yeah. standing there being like look at this buck my cousin shot yeah exactly yeah there's a downside to that too i've had conversations um you know um uh will primos is a guy uh who i have a lot of respect for dude and, yeah and there's it, no <laughs> i'm telling you as just like a communicator and a consistent personality yeah and just like a guy that seems like 
a good human being. Will Primos. Yeah. So I'm going hunting with him this fall. I get, you know, I, good for you. I, I get some good opportunities and that's, I, I want to, um, um, have those experiences, you know, with, while I can. So, uh, I don't get to do a lot, but, uh, uh, Will and I, we actually did some business together five years ago and, uh, we had talked about going and this last year I just said, well, I think now's the time I've never uh, gone on an elk hunt. I've probably watched 10,000 elk hunts on TV. Uh, so I'm excited and I, and I'm a, I'm a very passionate like turkey hunter and you know when i get a turkey and i call a turkey in and it it's gobbling and i can feel it drumming and strutting i just get super excited so when i have an elk coming at me and the first time i, I told will I, th- I might have to wear diapers because i'm yeah i, I can't imagine how awesome it's going to be so we're going to new mexico and we're going to do um an archery elk hunt in september you talk about that thing where, that happens where it's like you you want to be with someone to listen to, even just to put in and i like honestly have a bunch of the cds like to put in his stuff and hear will primos explain things right right he just explains things now and then in a way where i'm he explains things where i'm jealous that i hadn't thought to put it that way yeah and that it's you're drawn into will and the primos just it's one of the top shows on our network and it's not they've got good production values and they've got a great team but the reality is it's exactly that he just connects with the viewer on a very deep level people are comfortable with him they trust everything he says he's not just schlepping product he is actually he's you know passionate about it. he's using it he's developing product so he, he's been very successful at doing that one of the things it is for me is he likes animals yeah. He likes animals. He likes knowing about them. He likes being around them. For him, animals are not a tool by which to secure fame right. or perceived fortune or something that he kind of also a little bit doesn't maybe like that much. Yeah. It's like he loves wildlife right. and likes to be in proximity to it. And and, it, and all the elements of the hunt and sure. and the camaraderie and the family and all, yeah it, it's and likes talking to them, yep. the speak the language thing is like is real. It's right. not just a cool slogan and tricking them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If humanity were to end and all the planet were to die off except for just Will Primos, I think that Will Primos would still go um, out and observe wildlife. Yeah. I'm getting to this, you know, I, I shook the dude's hand one time and he didn't know who I was or what I was doing. It was a long time ago, but I'm just getting this from listening to his, his DVDs. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, a, he's a good guy. And, 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 a, you know, an amazing businessman too, you know, um, I'm trying to think, he tells a story about how he got started, um, making the mouth calls. He, he used, uh, he used to buy condoms for uh-huh. the to get for, the latex to get the latex and i think he tells a story about being I, I think he i think he went and bought it had to buy some condoms and he ran into like the father of one of his classmates and was so anyway he's that was before he was buying it commercially and that but um, there's there's so many little stories like that in this like, industry no honest I'm just making game calls that, that's why i want to spend time in camp with these guys to, to hear more like that uh you'd brought up the idea I, i'm not floating this but you brought this idea up um is hunting TV good or bad for the sport? I think there's a lot of people. There's a lot of people who hunt, a lot of people who fish. I feel that would say it's bad. Mm-hmm. No, that's why I brought it up. I hear I, it from I, I hear it from them all the time. I want well. I want to. That's why I wanted to talk about it because I'm interested to hear what you all think about it. Um, I I generally think it's good, and 
we at the network work very hard to make sure that it's good in terms of the the quality that makes it to air, the ethics around it, the storytelling, the conservation message, the you know recruitment and participation. I think those are all good things. But when I talk about the good and the bad and the ugly about TV, it's like, well, there's there's other sides of it that you know people don't care for. If you're a Western big game hunter, you don't like to see some of the things that you know your your colleagues might do, and and a big part of the market does. You know, there's there's people who don't like predator hunting, you know, or just you know, it's just not for them. Or Africa hunting, you know, there's that's a very polarizing, um, you know, part of our programmatic mix. Um, so in general, I think it's good, but I, I thought it'd be something worthy of discussing because you know there are there are those who 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 don't think it is that this is um, this is a, a a personal sport and that it doesn't belong on TV. I, th- I think it's done a lot to help promote hunting, and uh, when it's done properly, it's a very good thing. Yeah, if I was to imagine like if I was to think of the different criticisms I hear, I think that that that's kind of. That's a big one. It's just that, that, that Thomas McKinter, he didn't use it in this in this context, but like pissing in the cathedral, you know, mm-hmm. that it's like this, it's this very personal thing. You're in the out of doors. You're out, you know, you're in the outdoors because you're, someone asked me where, why some people say out of doors and outdoors. When I grew up, there's a magazine, Michigan Out of Doors. Mm-hmm. I just got it in my head, out of doors. When you're in the outdoors, in nature, it's like this, personal right experience you're having and some people feel that to film it is to, to film it and put it out there for distribution is kind of like sacrilegious mm-hmm. that it's like the whole point of it is that it's private and self-contained and it's something that you live and experience in your own space and in your own head and to take that and package it for consumption and put like a personality behind it it just it strikes him as being a little bit offensive and, and i think that of the other things like you know, the other criticism i'll have people will come and be like oh it's you know it's all an infomercial right and i think you can kind of explain that by talking about what the model of it is like like how it works right. how it's funded but the and, and i don't even really pay attention to that one but the one that does strike me is that one where it's just like it's sacrilegious and and i think that uh the reason that speaks to me a little bit is because it is something that um, it is something that, that I do like that part of me feels right. Like there, there's, there's like push and pull inside everyone's head. Mm-hmm. And I think even my own brothers who I grew up, uh, hunting and fishing with, and they're two of the most dedicated hunters and fishermen that I know, uh, they just out of the box were deeply suspicious of my involvement in doing outdoor television Mm -hmm. writing about it supportive of that right they felt that aesthetically that's like okay but then look at the deep history of it like people have been writing about it since people were writing right so there's like like there's a trajectory there there's like a thing it's like for 100 plus years more well i mean the the it's kind of funny how deep it goes because if you go back and look at the oldest known representational art in Europe is people wall art, right? Writing the story of their hunt on a cave wall. Right. So it's something that it's like acceptable because there's something very personal and intimate about writing. But to them, it was kind of like, 
You're going to do what? All right. Like, film it. And then put out your innermost personal experiences out for like why would they want to watch you know just a suspicion man yeah it's tough and i haven't fully and i haven't fully i've never really found like a really great way of countering i haven't found like a great way of countering the argument there's some things people say and i'm i always look forward to them saying it because you Mm -hmm. can you can tear their argument apart so easy that it's almost fun but that one's not one i really look forward to taking now because i have to kind of say like if you feel that way I'm probably not going to change your opinion about it. I'd like you. I'd like that if you watch the show to right, see. But it, right, but in your show, could change that person's opinion. But there are others, and they're and they're not wrong for it. That wouldn't because they're. It's more of a character-driven hunting show, and it is kind of a hey, you know, look at me. Michael Waddell is a very passionate, uh, you know, hunter in that, but he's a, a character. People watch him because they're they're curious about you know what he's going to say and how mm-hmm. he, how he acts, and that very different than um, you know. Um, Sportsman's Channel is, we've differentiated the networks a little bit where Outdoor Channel is more, um, uh, general entertainment talent driven type content where Sportsman, because a lot of our magazines have driven that content, is more editorial style. It's less about the talent and more about the, the art. And so our, our viewers are different that way. And interestingly enough, um, I don't remember the, the exact number, but it's probably around like 40% of our magazine readers actually watch the network, the TV, uh, because it's a different, it's a, just a different type of consumer. If I'm going to read um, Guns and Ammo, it's because I'm interested in Guns and Ammo and I'm going to go, I want to go deep. If I'm going to watch um, The Gunfather on Outdoor Channel, it's because I want to be generally entertained. It's not because I necessarily am a firearm enthusiast. So, so when someone says, you know, I think it's a very personal thing, they're right. For them, it is. But for millions of others, it's not. It's, it's aspirational. They're, they're learning. You know, it, I was going to say, it's, it's very hard to generalize, too. I and mean, we have 200 different producers and a lot of different shows. So, you know, I could tell you that, you know, um, your show is, is very personal for people. And they, you know, they, uh, whereas some of the others, you know, not so much. It's just about that hunt and, and huge audiences love, like those shows too. So there's no right or wrong answer either. No, the aspirational stuff is big because we get so many notes from people who watch the show, and I'm sure a show, any show, and are, and then say to, like, say to themselves, I'm going to go do that. Right. Which is cool to hear about. Um, and and it's, like, it's nice to know that, that there's that inspiring aspect of it. Right. And as in everything, there's also a flip side of that where you're like, man, so tags just got even a little bit harder to draw. <laughs> we used to get, we'd get, and Montanans are unique. Uh, and so wardens would generate a lot of feedback. And I remember, I've, I've probably saved them. I should send you some of them. Uh, you know, the, the, the locals in Montana did not like uh, the warden show because you're showing people where we, you know, all of our great hunting. Oh, really? We don't like non-residents. Keep them out of here. You don't pay taxes in Montana. You shouldn't be hunting here. It's like, really? I mean, come on. But so, um, we got some pretty good begrudging tourist state. I've always said, yeah, it is. (laughs) We've had interesting, interesting experiences there too. Just trying to operate a show for, um, six years in Montana. I mean, there, there was resistance. Uh, Yeah from the general population and uh, and there's also people who who absolutely loved it and but 
not everybody. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people hate any kind of incursion into their own thing. We try to be really respectful on in any kind of public land situation, right. which is the bulk of our yeah, the bulk of our stuff is filmed on public land, and we have certain like lines we don't cross, right? In terms of not blowing a spot out but that criticism is, is extended even like that kind of thing is extended way outside of just hunting television or fishing television because in the ski world mm-hmm. the surf world right i'm sure probably in the mountain biking thing it's like there's people who feel passionate and do it they look at representations of it like public outputting they're already suspicious of public output people putting the experience out for public right, consumption right, right. and the first thing that's going to jump in their mind is you're going to send the masses to my spot right and when it comes to things like a particular break to a surfer or a particular meadow that's real man right it's like people are talking about like oh you're going to ruin you know tourism is going to ruin paris right you're talking about like millions of people and you're adding some number more and it's hard to track it but if you got like a little meadow that's easily identified easily right. identified one dude ruins it so get this so coming off of icast uh, my wife and i did some fishing I two two short stories from there one mark davis who does Penn's big water adventures big saltwater great show great character so uh, pen pen reels yeah pen yeah. reels so um my mark goes all over the world fishing and and he had somebody come up to him at the show, and they said, "You know, you got to come down here. We got redfish." And, and Mark's like, "Do you like do you?" And the guy was just selling him on the quality of the fishery and the giant fish and how amazing it was. And Mark's like, "Do you, do you like your fishery? You like you like how it is? Then I'm not going to go there because if he goes there, everybody else will go there. Not just show, but like people will show up, and it 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 can have a significant impact on the fishery. And the, the example I'll give you is uh, my wife and I fished with Carter Andrews after I cast, and we um, we ca- we found these uh, red anchovies, these giant schools of red anchovies, really cool, I mean, like the size of a football field, and there was tarpon rolling in them. We've, and um, we we did a Facebook Live event, and I caught a tarpon the next day in that, in that, um, and apparently two or three days later, there's like nine boats off this area. Because people recognize the bridge or whatever. Or we, we probably, they knew we were off of Vero, Vero Beach. Okay. And it's like, you know, so that was just some minor social media exposure. And all of a sudden it's like, I mean, they, I was gone already, but they had continued fishing and they're like, yeah, when they showed up, there were already three boats on it. Two other boats came in. The, the, the word is out. Uh, yeah. But, but here's, but that's the funny, that's the kind of the point I'm making too is the word is three people. Right. Like yeah. that is that's the tipping point right and but then that that's that spot is like done i mean there's yeah. too much pressure now and it's like everything moves off but on a on a more positive note though um th- there's when you go to a tackle shop and it's probably the same in montana where you go to a fly shop but the word gets out like you know whopper ploppers is a is a top water bait and you can't find them around here because somebody started catching fish on whopper ploppers and now all the stores are sold out. So you'll go in across the country and like Rapala is headquartered here in Minneapolis um, and they sell countdowns. These like just original floating Rapalas. And in one store, they can't keep them in stock. And in another store, they can't sell them because it just some guy locally had success on it and people just start hearing what in the, and the tackle guy starts, you know, there, there starts moving him. So w- w- as a community, we are, we do a lot of word of mouth, I think. So you're right. It has a downside where you can, you can really have an impact. 
it, the criticism so high there. Like if you do something, like if a, if a person in outdoor media does something where you reveal that people are pissed, but then if you go to any, you know, you go to any mountain town, right. And you go to the local fly shop, they put a sandwich board. What do you call those little things? Like, right. the, I love that. They put like a little board out on the sidewalk that says where the bite is right. and what they're biting on. I, I think that's <laughs> rock Creek squalus. I think it's brilliant because so, <laughs> exactly. you know, if you're a retailer, you, you need people to have success, you know? So, and that's, that's what like, yeah, yeah, but no one goes and kicks the door. Maybe they do. Do people get pissed at fly shops for sending everybody where the hot bite is? Yeah. 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 But I think at like the same time, vague information too. I think also a creek. Like, it's like, okay, yeah. I know this guy's telling me this. Probably just told the last 25 people that. Like we, we were over in the Henry's Fork this year, um, ran over there to uh, fish. You know, the salmon flies were coming off on the Henry's Fork, and uh, some of the guys I was with, they're like, oh, we got to go into the fly shop, and I got to pick up a few things. I said, okay, no matter what, this stretch that I want to fish is what we're going to fish, and that's <laughs> Despite it. Despite your intel, yeah. Like, I do not care what these guys think. So, of course, we end up fishing the stretch that the guys at the fly shop told us to fish. And I was just in a bad mood the whole time. We get down there. There's more trailers at the put-in than I've ever seen. The people running shuttles on the river have, uh, like, two 15-passenger vans out of shuttle, shuttle drivers because mm-hmm. they're moving more boats and trailers on this yeah. stretch than they ever have. And I'm like, folks, this is, this is what a sucker looks like. That's unique to fly fishing because bass fishermen lie. I mean, they'll come off the water and they'll say, yeah, what'd you catch your fish on? Oh, you know, we were fishing uh, crankbaits and deep weed lines. And, of course, they're fishing like worms on docks. They'll lie about everything. But uh, the fly shops will. You know, I don't know if they embellish, but uh, I, I appreciate it when they do that as a but I can see how, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna stack that river up in that section because they're telling everybody. Mm-hmm. I was standing there with a buddy of mine one time years ago, and we had just skinned a bear. It was spring spring season, and we're coming out of logging road, and a guy pulls up and he looks at my buddy's pants and says to him, "Looks like someone got one," and he <laughs> looks him straight in the face and says, "Oh, it's just some old rabbit blood." You know, and it's like awkward because everyone knows that it's just not true. Yeah, <laughs> and it was kind of like more. It was almost more painful to me than if he had just said, like I'd have been irritated if he had said it. But it was more painful to me to have a standing lie, right? Yeah, like I have a difficult time. Like if someone says, "Hey, how was the fishing?" Um, I find I, I find myself trying to not lie, but then. You know, but, oh, it's okay. Got a couple, right? Mm-hmm. I can't just be like nothing when, in fact, there was something. something. Yeah. Because, yeah, you wind up trying to be like not a horrible person, but then also you want to serve your own purposes a little bit. I, we're so fortunate in Minnesota. Like, bass fishing, if you like catching bass, I mean, the, the, the saying is, I think, um, God uh, put bass on the earth so everyone could catch a fish mm-hmm. and muskies to separate the men from the boys. 
So we're going to go musky fishing tonight. But if we want to, we catch bass. And you can catch no. bass on every lake. Yeah, exactly. On every I mean, single I up, lake. I grew up on a bass lake. Man. Right. Well, every lake in Minnesota bass. has yeah. bass in it. And they're, they're not that smart. And they're, they're fun. And so I, I'm, all, I'm, I'm all about participation, growing participation, taking kids out, taking friends out. I love to take them hunting and fishing. So I'm, I'm an open book when it comes to And I'll also, like, if, on my social media, I'll post when I don't have success. Because otherwise people think, well, you, you know, I only... They don't understand that we don't always go out and and, and catch tons of fish. Um, I've been able to fish by myself more this year. I've got three young boys, so it's normally I'm not ever by myself between friends, family, and, and work. But when I go on my own, I'll go and I'll explore new water or new techniques, and I won't have success. But you know, we're going to fish a spot tonight that I found when I was looking for smallmouth beds, and I gotcha. and I ended up finding a giant muskie. Uh, area. So, what do you call a musky area? An well, area? This was just a weed bed. So, it w- and it was the water was crystal clear, and I was I just kind of drifted over, and I looked down, and it, it looked like a railroad tie laying on the bottom. That's, and I, and so I, that's how you find them. Yeah, and well, that's how I found that one. But you, you'll see a lot of them. And in the summer, when the water's really hot, we don't generally target them when the water temps are way high. So you don't want to hurt them, right? And, and uh, but they'll 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 be kind of lethargic. They'll be up in shallow water, just kind of sunning. You can you can boat up to them and poke them with your rod and they'll swim off oh really yeah. yeah but they won't eat then you know they're not you, you, they're not catchable they're just not in that kind of pattern i was kind of uh i went fishing with uh matt elliott from benchman you oh, have yeah. too like but he's a uh, yeah yanni served matt elliott his uh first ever bass sandwich oh nice competition <laughs> a hobby uh what do you call it an amateur competition bass fisherman who had never Eating a smallmouth sandwich. He had a little smallmouth tear fish. rolling down his down no, his cheek. He thought it was good. Yeah. Oh no, yeah, he's just wiping that tartar, tartar sauce off his lips. <laughs> he thought it was good. And he didn't want his wife to realize that they were good. But some of those she was wondering uh, what he was doing. That some whole of the time. rigs, you know. So I was super asking a bunch of questions, and I never get fish with that stuff. And going through, Did you guys drop shot. That is exactly what I was going at. Oh, okay, there are some rigs that these bass guys tie up that i just wouldn't fish with purely for the fact where because i'd be like well of course you're going to catch fish with it like <laughs> of course isn't that, like, that, isn't that the goal it, yeah but if if there's a foregone conclusion i'm just not that into it the musky <laughs> thing super appealing because yeah. but the drop shot thing i'm like well uh. when i years ago when i started hearing I do want to get back to what we're talking about, but years ago when I started hearing people say drop shotting, I was picturing, I don't know what I was picturing. I was picturing some, I, don't know, I just heard it and I thought it must be some elaborate, right? 18 knots and, you know, crazy things running off here and there, or whatever. And then when I saw that, I'm like, that's what drop shotting is? But my man, does that work good? Oh my God. How can it not? I mean, I guess that's my, yeah. But yeah, I, I guess I would skew more towards the musky side of things because I want, I want you want the, the, the experience. Yeah. You want the, the experience. ten. You want the ten thousand casts. Yeah, that's it's not for everyone. So it is. You have to enjoy the journey and everything else around it. Just like it's a difference between gun hunting and bow hunting. You know, the success rate's not that high, but you still do it because you, you're you're passionate about it. And it's not always about that kill. It's about the big picture and being outdoors. Gets me more days in the woods. So in uh, in outdoor TV, in hunting TV, are there lines that cannot be crossed? 
surely if a producer turned into a thing where he was hunting panda bears, you guys would be like, you know what? Um, not going to be running that episode. We have, uh, we have very strict guidelines, and we have a quality control team that, that enforces those, and producers are aware of those. If you're an independent producer, you don't want to spend thousands of dollars on something that's not going to make it to air. So, so it's pretty buttoned up, I would say. But yeah, we have we have lines. You know, we we have um, we want to protect the sport, and so there's things and, and there's safety issues. You know, we don't want to show things that are unethical or unsafe. We don't allow blue sky shots. So you enforce ethics, yes, like beyond law, yes. We, I mean, our our guidelines say you need to follow the laws, and then you also need to follow some of the you know general safety. It's not a you know obviously anything that's illegal is is not allowed on game you have to follow all game laws and 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 if there's violations we are very strict in how we enforce those talk about some of the things that have happened recently with hosts getting in uh with hosts getting in hot water i, was gonna I can think of three off the top of my head yeah well in the in the last three yeah i mean our actions were pretty swift and pretty consistent we've do you mind laying out the story of what happened um and just broad brush strokes in um like in the case of um, Chris Brackett for Fear No Evil. Sure. Um, yeah, you know, it, it's, uh, first of all, I, I, I told you that, you know, I have a lot of respect for the people that I work with and these producers, and Chris was one of them uh, because Chris started with nothing. He was a postman, and he had a dream, and he had a passion, and he, I, I saw a video that uh, Chris sent to Pat Reeve, and it was essentially a demo and said, Hey, Pat, I, I love what you do at Hunter Specialties. I want to get into this space. And, you know, so to see what happened was disappointing in, in a couple of, you know, because the incident that happened in Indiana happened, it's like five years ago now, right? So the, the, where he, sh- where he shot two deer. Um, and, you know, you put himself. He had a tag for one, but shot Had two. a tag for one, shot one. You know, and there's there's questions around that, too, because he had a camera guy with him. And, and people don't know the whole story. You know, they, they did tag the first deer that he, that, that he shot. And, you know, so there's, you know, there, there's nothing. There's, there's no. I really there, no. don't know the details of the story. I'm not, I'm not like being coy. Yeah. I, I, I really don't know the details of the story. Well, I, what, what the only thing people know is from what they saw in the video is that, you know, a, a deer came out and he shot the deer and then another one came out and he, and he shot that one. And, okay. you know, and he, he says he wasn't sure he shot this first one and there's, and they, so it, it's all speculation yeah. beyond that. So, so yes, you know, to take you through that. So when I heard, saw the video and that, you know, I, I was disappointed. I mean, you know, disappointed on a human level. And I was, I was, you know, Chris had, has evolved and had already evolved. He's a changed man from what he was four years ago. And people think that, you know, he uh, went through this and then found God. No, Chris was actually had, had already transformed his faith life, but he's human. We're all human. So he made a mistake. And then another video comes up about him, you know, berating a, a camera guy. And it's like, I've, I've been there before. No, I've never, I've never berated a camera guy like that, but you know, Chris put a lot of pressure on himself back four years ago when he made that second shot to try to produce something, you know, to, to, and, and he made a mistake and he's paid a pretty significant price for it. I mean, he, we removed the, we find out about it, you know, there, um, um, there are some questions. So we had to do a little bit of research and, you know, and talk to Chris and talk to others about it, but we pulled the show immediately. Is that and a tough decision to make? No, it, it's, you know, we have guidelines 
it was tough on a human level because yeah. I, you know, I care for my producers. I care for Chris. I'm, I've, I felt bad for him and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to pull the rug out. This is his career. This is what he's built up. But, um, so, um, yeah. And then, you know, ultimately, yeah, the show just, you know, he, he lost some sponsor support and, and Chris is a guy, he's, he's a, he's a, he's got a great heart. You know, he, I've had him at my home with my kids and he's great with my kids and that, and, he made a mistake and it, and it cost him, I, it, I think it cost more than, than it probably should have, but his, then if, he, then if he was a private individual. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Private individual. This would have been, you know, first of all, he's, he's never been charged with anything. So he's, he's, he just lost his career. He didn't, he doesn't get a ticket. He hasn't, uh, there, there's nothing has become of it and nothing probably will other than he's lost his livelihood as a TV host. And it's interesting that the three cases that, I'm thinking of which uh, the three cases I'm thinking of where, where hunting show personalities have been in trouble, have been in trouble around these issues of shooting something and then shooting something else. I think the a, a thing you hear about it, I think you hear about that people fear is people are like, Oh, being in that situation where you're this, you know, hunting celebrity, which is a term, people hate right Mm -hmm. there's this hunting celebrity and they're under such pressure to um they're under such pressure to like get that big buck in order to become more famous that they're put in these situations where they have poor judgment because they're trying to service business right? right which would sort of imply that that violations and getting in trouble is sort of just like only happens in outdoor TV, which we all know that it certainly doesn't. Right. And there's a lot of guys that get in a lot of trouble all the time who are not putting it out, but it's a thing I think that people feel. Another thing that I think people feel from the other side is, um, people like to make examples of people, you know? So when someone gets in trouble for something like that, you know, especially who's in the public eye, they get in trouble for something like that. It gets quickly amplified. Sure. Where people are very ready to pounce. And, and in Chris's case, he, he has a polarizing brand. You loved him or you didn't. You know, he had a, his catch line, a booyah, when he would shoot a deer. You very passionate about it. It, you either loved it or you didn't. And uh, for every viewer feedback I got, people saying they didn't like Chris Brackett, I got 10 that said they loved him, you know, so. Because people found it offensive, that kind of like, like, they just didn't like, you know, they didn't want, they didn't connect with him. And so, so that, you know, you get the keyboard warriors and, you know, they, they'll go off on him. So, so when that incident happened, it essentially made all of his detractors right. They kept, and they came out and, and I, I would tell you, it, um, it was disappointing. I, I love this industry. I love the hunting industry, the fishing industry and that, but we are fast to consume each other when something like that happens. And, and there were people that seemed to take pleasure out of taking yeah, him down, man. and that was heartbreaking. I was looking at a thing the other day involving an acquaintance of mine where something no one knows, something may or may not have happened. I haven't really looked into it yet, but I just heard not a television person, just a person that maybe got sideways with the law a little bit. And man, there's a lot of people rooting that he did, yeah. hoping that he did. Right. Within the industry? Like, just people aware. Just like the, the cannibalization. And I think that, but I think in these case, in some of these cases where it'd be like, it'd be interesting because there's this other case 
Are you are you willing to talk about uh, an instance that involves an individual whose initials are T V? Um, on on our network, yeah. Um, I don't know who it is. Right. <laughs> oh yeah. Can we talk about that? Yeah, sorry. I, I thought you were talking current. So, no, that's um, an old one. But it's just an interesting case study, right? In something that winds up. Uh, the, the, Let's the, just talk in general terms because I don't know what my what my limitations are okay. in that situation. So, in general terms, but, it was an a, someone made a, a person made an accident. Okay, a, right. A, a person had a what I from having done a lot of hunting, a thing that I regard to be something that could happen to anyone right meaning you let's just say there's different situations where you you see a deer there's a buck standing there and you shoot but you go over there's two bucks or two deer because there's one behind it that you were bedded down up a little rise that you were unaware of that could happen to anyone right or a situation being that here's a buck you shoot the buck goes down all of a sudden the buck stands back up again you shoot again and you think you're doing bike. the right thing to shoot again, but you go over and it's two bucks. Now, in those cases, even if you are a hunting celebrity, I think in those cases, were you to self-report, right? I feel that you probably wouldn't lose your show. No. You probably wouldn't get skewered. You might even get rewarded is really the wrong term, but people might recognize the step you took. Right. And decide not to skewer you and try to destroy you. We've had positive cases where that happened. You know, Pigman had an incident in o- in Oklahoma. Um, you know, first of all, game laws are complicated, right? And I think he was in an area. Um, I don't remember the specifics, but you know, he ended up, I think, shooting a, a hen turkey or something. And it, and he wasn't in a unit. He had a t- he, he had everything. He thought he had everything right, and he didn't. He owned up to it. He, he paid a small fine. It was it was an honest mistake. Whereas you know, in some of these cases you're talking about, the cover up is always worse it's than the, the cr- it, worse than the crime. And it's something I learned. You know, I've never had an inter- an encounter like that with uh, with a warden. But filming wardens for uh, six or seven years, you always got to you got to the the only answer is to come clean fast and completely. And that's your, because these, these wardens are not out to get you. People make mistakes. They have a lot of latitude in what they can do. But if they know that you're being deceptive, you're, you're done. There's no more sympathy. I mean, you will, you will get whatever it is that you, and they'll, and 100% of the time they figure it out. So in some of these cases, um, um, yeah, you you just have to own up to it because no, absolutely, people make mistakes. But yes, if it's a case where you blatantly disregarded the law and wasted, you know that that's going to have deep and immediate ramifications. Yeah, negative and impact. that's what really seems like um, that's what really seems like lead people into a very troubled path is is the cover up. And and in that situation, you're making this kind of like quick decision. You're like, there's a chance. If I just hide this, right, covered up, there's a chance nothing happens. And man, is that seductive. Right. But there's also the chance that everything, that the world as I know it could end. Right. And by going the route of being like, Mr. Game Warden, I made a mistake. 
right. there's gonna be there there will be ramification. Uh-huh. But total annihilation of oneself isn't probably in the mix. Now, um, we have uh, in Bowhunter TV, Kurt Wells was in Canada years ago, and I think a legal moose was like 50 inches, and he shot a moose, and it was like 49 and three quarters. Yeah. I mean, you, you can't, you, you can't, and it was a you know, good shot. I think it was a bow shot. It was like 40 yards or something, and he self-reported and, um, and paid a fine. It's an honest mistake. It was, you know, he and the and the guide they judged it to be a legal bull, and it wasn't. Same deal. You know, he could have he could have hid that, but no, he you know did the right thing, self reported, made that part of the story. He lost the trophy. I I, I just I think it's made my, a part of the story. Yeah, that's great. It was the story. You know, it's, you, you, we got to we got to that's got to be the story. We got the story has to be do the right thing. And we actually in our guidelines, you know, we you have to follow the law, but we we want to hold our host to a higher standard because we are being watched by everybody, and so. You know, we always advise people don't, don't, you know, you know the rules. You, you need to, you know, follow them. You need to have license. You need to wear blaze orange where it's blaze orange. You, because, and right now, law enforcement watches outdoor TV and they look for violations. We've had cases of that as well. We had a warden tell us, what state were we in? Where the guy said, uh, you know, I don't need to be out in the field anymore. I got Facebook. Yeah. Idaho, maybe? No, but- you know, I was in Kentucky. All right. The warden said that. Yeah, game war. He just was, you know, I'm sure partially joking. No, but he's like, I don't need to drive around anymore. I got Facebook. I had a, uh, you know, Oregon uh, state troopers are game wardens, and some are supposed to be more game wardens than state troopers, but I had a state trooper in eastern Oregon basically say that um, that's that's how he's made all all of his recent busts were all through social media well and also just going to the local bar i mean in montana the wardens they the successful the most successful wardens are you know have very good local networks and so because they you know, they've got 400 square miles they're covering they can't be everywhere but they sure hear a lot because most guys who are poaching you know go to the bar and talk about it and know? they're competitive too yeah and they yeah. have uh, they have their own territories is what this guy was saying and so a lot of the information that they get would be from other poachers being like, yeah, hey, I found this buck on the side of the road with the head cut off. You going to do something about it? Got a pretty, pretty good idea who it is. Really? Yeah. It's like drug dealers shooting drug dealers. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I had another on that same trip. I think, it was, yeah, it was the same trip where the guy was saying, I don't need it. I have Facebook. Another thing that he, another thing that he said to me that I thought was interesting is he doesn't like suppressors now um and his argument against suppressors is the gunshot is a very important tool for him and he was saying as it gets when he's bow hunting and it starts getting close to rifle season he can't finish a night in his tree stand because and he's like something about that something about that shot yeah, and he's down out of his tree stand, zinging over in that, you know, getting in his truck, and going over in that direction, and uh, and that was his like criticism of suppressors. Yeah, I've hunted suppressed, and it's I I like it. You know, I follow the law, and so I'm not trying to. Oh, it's, you know, yeah, they're great. Yeah, they're great. But I never looked at it from. The, I look at it from the perspective of it's just quiet. Yeah, 
but he looks at it from the perspective of he wants to know what's going on out in the, out there, the yeah, woods, yeah. you know. And you know, they, they, you can still hear them, but yes, you can't hear it. Yeah, like a like a thirty out six or it was, it, yeah, it was a thing that I had. It was a thing I had considered on, when weighing it, and like all these different states are sort of like weighing what the relationship will be to, to people being able to use suppressors. Um, you know, I was in Scotland one time, and they were shocked. They were shocked you'd be allowed to not use a suppressor. Yeah. Because of what it does to people's ears. Right. I was like, man, you guys use suppressors? It's like, you guys don't? <laughs> <laughs> it's very different. Yeah. Um, did you know Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you? They'll even alert you when there's been an increase in a subscription price and negotiate rates for you. I can see my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. You wouldn't believe how many people are paying for subscriptions they don't use. This happened to me. It's annoying. This helps you find it out and get rid of it. Well, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions and monitors your spending and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Rocketmoney.com slash meat eater applying for tags each year in the west can be daunting yeah i apply for everything everywhere it's daunting you have to go to a variety of sources to formulate your best guess as to where to apply well this is a thing of the past now onyx just launched hunt research tools to simplify the process for all hunters this tool helps organize the data that matters makes comparing hunt options easy and helps hunters develop a plan based on real metrics rather than gut feelings. OnX Hunt also offers all elite members a free digital membership to Hunt and Fool, who I use, for boots on the ground, insight and knowledge, and a membership to Hunt Reminder so you never miss another deadline. Stop stressing over application season and apply with confidence in 2024. Check out OnX Hunt Research Tools, free for all OnX Hunt Elite members. Not an elite member? Well, let's fix that. Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt. This is an app I use literally every day. I use it for every aspect of hunting, scouting, trapping, you name it. Rain or shine every day is a great day for fishing, right? And you probably got rain gear, but you shouldn't overlook sunny day gear. Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite Hoodie has you covered on the sunniest day. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite Hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting in to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on and having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to, especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad-spectrum UV protection? We're talking UPF 50, and it has airflow, so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? 
putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head on over to Columbia.com slash PFG and shop all of their performance fishing gear. Free content, man. People go on YouTube, watch hunting videos all day long and never pay for anything. What's the, right? What's right. that spell? Like, what's that when you look into your crystal ball? Um, what are the business challenges there? Or, the, or what, are the, what does it mean for the consumer? Yeah, I think there's room for all, for all of it. I think it's a different product. You know, I, I consume on my mobile device, I consume short videos, whether they're, you know, Facebook or YouTube or what have you, but it's very different than the television that I consume, whether mm-hmm. it's hunting or not. So yeah, every producer you work with does short form content. Right. Um, it, it depends. You know, we, we went through this evolution where everybody had to invest in high definition equipment, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of gear because the idea was we're all going to have 90 inch, you know, flat screens. And now viewers don't seem to care that much. They'll watch crappy video uh, from a cell phone on a cell phone and, and it's adequate. So I, I think. Yeah, that's interesting. Right. So th- what year was it when, do you remember the timeline of when? Yeah, it was, um, well, can't remember where I was. It was um, 2008, 2007, so 10 years ago, you know, the evolution. People started moving towards HD. Mm-hmm. You know, networks weren't carrying channels in HD. Now everything is pretty much in HD. Um, but the, the concept of free, I, I think free ultimately will um, hurt the industry. Because if if it's not valuable, if the it will hurt on the high end of quality. Because if I'm Jim Shockey and people don't don't appreciate the quality that I'm delivering of my TV show because they can watch something for free on YouTube, then advertisers aren't going to support it, and then Jim's just not going to do it. So I think free content, um, free on the internet has has a has a place, but it's also a very crowded marketplace. Our networks are this are a platform where we have viewers who are trained to turn on the hunting channel, they call it. They just they just turn it on and they watch hunting. Whereas if I go to YouTube, you know, first of all you, you have to find the right and you, and you can you can narrow it down, you can search and do that, but you, you find that you sift through a lot of a lot of garbage to find some of the gold. It's dispersed. Uh, right. And, yeah. and, it, and it's very, I think it'll be very hard. Um, it would be very hard. I've got a son who's got a YouTube channel, right? He's got 19 followers. How do you, as an as a aspiring outdoor talent, build an audience? I mean, television is, is still by far the best way to reach a mass. I mean, look at Facebook recently had their issue with um, privacy and uh, you know, the data, the data issue they had. And what, so they're spending, I've heard at one point it was a million dollars a day on linear television advertising to regain the trust of their user. They have this platform, um, but they go to linear television to reach that audience. Yeah. The Super Bowl last year, did you see who the presenting sponsor of the Super Bowl was? No. YouTube. YouTube Red. So YouTube... Oh, I didn't set, know that. Yeah, so they were the presenting sponsor of the Super Bowl. So they see some value in linear television? I, I, yeah. I, you know, I think for any, any brand to say there's not value in linear television is, is, um, 
I think that's a temporary position. We're already starting to see where digital, um, the good news is for an advertiser or a brand, there are more and good digital options to get a message out and connect with people. The bad news is it's still not as good as TV and you need, you need all of it. And yeah. the best, the best brands have digital, they have print, they have radio, they have billboards, they have TV. You know, we don't always have the luxury in our space to have that, that whole breath, but TV uh, by far still delivers. The other thing it delivers, it delivers volume and quality and low risk. Because I might, if I want to, if I have a product and I want to advertise, do a digital ad, I don't know where that ad's appearing. I don't know if you know if it's appearing on appropriate sites or how that brand is, how my brand is being associated with that. Unless you know, if if you're advertising on our digital platforms, where if you're you know if you have a holster, you know it's appearing on Guns and Ammo's Facebook or uh, or website. So um, I read an article. It was the 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 national advertising market. In, in all of television is driven by like 200 brands like Coca-Cola and the Unilever brands and all that. So, and it's, there's, there's very little fraud. I mean, you buy advertising, you measure the results, you know how much you're paying and, and it's good. And advertising works. We know advertising works. And in digital, there are tens of thousands of people, um, and, and and the results are 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 highly suspicious. So there's no, there's no magic yet. The the allure of digital and free is is strong because it's it's in theory cheaper. I just don't think it's as effective. And some of those big brands are going back to TV because it's more expensive, but it's it's it works and it still works. I think that there's just room for a lot of different things. And I think even if you look within like you know our own organization that i'm involved in um well put it like this i like to eat very well prepared elaborate meals sometimes and i'll also sometimes eat a gas station hot dog Mm -hmm. particularly when i was in high school and college right right i don't be like man now that gas station hot dogs have come out um i no longer want to eat an elaborate, well-prepared meal because it's just different. And so in doing, um, in doing, in making content, I look at an episode like, like I look at a meat eater episode. It's 22 minutes where this is not an exaggeration. Every second was fought over. Right. Every second of it. Okay. And it requires a certain amount of money to do that. Right. That's like its own thing. Um, I also like a funny cell phone video. Right. right. But they're just very different. And I think right now I'm watching Ken Burns's uh, Vietnam series. It takes a lot to put that together, right? It, it can't be that, that, that free, like as great as free YouTube content is, it's it just, I, I would hate to live in a world where somehow the pot, we were starved of the polished stuff. Right. But I don't think we will become starved of the polished stuff. But I think people keep trying to like force this idea or hoping there's this idea that it's just one version, the polished version will be abandoned and short of the, 
gorilla version or the gorilla version will be abandoned and short of the polished right. version. That's right. Like, so, uh, there's room for all of it. I yeah. Think. And looking ahead, there's a lot of apprehension, you know, about where it's coming from. When, when I started out in my career, I was writing for glossy magazines, mm-hmm. you know, um, which I, by the way, have been dead for over 10 years. Right? They were dying when I started. We have 17 magazines that are, that thrive. They're still doing quite well. Yeah. They, they've been they've been declaring that death, and, and a lot has changed there. I, I mean, I, I remember having a ten thousand dollar travel budget to do a magazine sure. story. Like a lot of that stuff's changed, and so it came out of magazines, and I went into traditional doing traditional books. Okay, and um, there's still a thriving book business, but then people declared that with Amazon, the traditional book, you know, the author publisher relationship is no more. That's all going to die, and I used to live with constant apprehension and fear about the future mm-hmm. but then at those times they hadn't even come up with a podcast yet right i didn't know about what i didn't know what a podcast podcast was until i went on one mm-hmm. i've just gotten to the point now after a long time of making things um i've just gotten to the point now where i don't have i've kind of like worked through the fears and now it's become more of a curiosity Right about, huh, I do wonder how all this will sort out, but I do maintain this idea that there will continue to be, and I, and I hope and push for it, there will continue to be ways to fund, um, ways to fund the really, like, High not, not great in the way that, I don't mean great in the way that you're passing a value judgment on other stuff, but ways to fund very polished, relatively expensive pieces of content that just that to my eye really shine right well look at tv or programming outside of you know our industry right it's like we're all still whether you're not even if you're not uh paying for cable anymore you're paying for netflix to like watch highly produced uh, the, the highly produced yeah. good still, stuff yeah, right still like a paywall like i've yet to someone even tell me about like oh yeah Go check out that new show on YouTube. Like it just hasn't happened yet. Right. So I the feel fun, like yeah, because there's there's like people it's hard are, to do it for free, right? Well, right. one thing you, you see in in all those cases, and you look at you know, uh, Auto Bytel was going to kill the car dealers, and all you know, um, you know, you know, the internet was going to kill print, and and it and it definitely changed. It, it it's it's gone through painful process, but. All of these businesses had to adapt, and so if you don't adapt to this new technology as a network, if we didn't, if we weren't adapting, yeah, we would we would lose some relevance. But we are adapting. You look at Comcast and uh, Dish, Directv. They are independently. Each one of them is investing over a billion dollars in products and services and the customer experience to make TV better. I, I use my wife as an example. She's not a big fan of paying our, our cable bill, but we have Xfinity and we have the Xfinity remote that she talks to now. And it's changed the way that she she can now, you know, for her, 400 channels was just too much. Now she can, through the remote, get what she wants when she wants it. Video on demand, I think, is becoming more uh, more accessible where you don't have to you know dive in and search if i want to watch meat eater i say meat eater and there's it's if it's on demand it's available um so 
television is evolving and the technology is driving it. And, and as a network, you know, we're committed to being on every device uh, with all of our content wherever you want it. But and the whole the whole cord cutting and it, there's absolutely been a reduction. We're, but we're still at I think around 98 million paid. Um, cable and satellite homes in the U.S., which is about what it was 10 years ago. So it's off from its peak, but there's still 100 million people. Um, and we all have family, extended family. You know people in your family who still, like my mom watches Jeopardy every day that she can, you know, and she's, that's, what, that's what she will always do. Um, so there's people still consuming it. There's also uh, a lot of people who've cut the cord, and then they start cobbling their own, co- their, so they do Netflix and they do ESPN and they want Fox News and they want some others. And all of a sudden, instead of paying 150 bucks a month, they're paying 120 or 100, and they're not, and they're missing something out. So there's cord returners. There's people that are coming back. Uh, there's people moving to skinny bundles, like we're on Sling and HD for outdoor sportsmen and World Fishing Network. It's 34 dollars a month, uh, and their their um, video on demand is fantastic. You know, you can you can watch multiple episodes, not just the current one, and you don't have to watch it at the appointed time. So it, it's it's evolving, and I, I agree. I think you know you still the, the, the challenge we have as a network and and most people don't under understand this because you don't really care but um the people making decisions about carrying hunting shooting and fishing programming whether it's our network or not are not into the sport right they don't they don't generally care about hunting shooting or fishing they're mostly lawyers and accountants that yeah, we are live in, we live in a passion-based industry but they're not they, they don't share it they're in yeah. the numbers business and so you know we have to fight um to maintain our distribution and we want to try to grow it because we have great content. We want to get it out there. Um, but it's, it's an uphill battle. If we had 90 million homes in outdoor, outdoor channel instead of 35 million, we could be like history channel and we could generate the ad dollar. I mean, just when you have that number, that, that sure number of homes, your ratings will go up. You can sell more advertising, you get more dollars in there, and then you can invest in that content. So it's kind of a catch-22 where we have 35 million uh, subscribers for Outdoor Channel. Um, and because of that, we don't, have, um, we, we don't generate enough ad dollars to buy all the content. So that's how that time buy kind of came full circle back to that time buy model. Yeah. Do you feel that hunters, like how far behind... Uh, in the technology thing, how far behind are hunters generally? I mean, they got to be lagging a little bit, right? Behind like your average American and sort of adoption of new technologies and use of new technologies. Or do you feel that they just keep right in step? Because like they're, kind of, they're almost by definition a little bit anachronistic, right? Well, our audiences tend to be older anyhow. Like you know, in average age is probably in the in the late forties to mid fifties. Okay, and so that. That's my age, essentially. They, you know, we are users of technology, but we're not drivers of the, of it. So, so our viewers are, yeah, we're, we're not early adopters, but some of them are, you know, we have our My Outdoor TV, um, package, which is, a um, just, just our, all the library of all of the old episodes. So, you know, that has skews to a much younger, uh, consumer, but it's also cheaper too. So it's part of someone's skinny bundle for like 10 bucks a month. Got you. Um, do you guys premiere people's new episodes on my outdoor TV? There's some that we do, but for now it's, it's mostly, uh, we do have some originals that we're starting to run on my outdoor TV, but it's mostly, um, library shows. And 
interestingly enough, and you think about your most passionate fans, and you're, you're a bad example, actually, because I think there's people that do a lot of binge watching on yours, but like for Lee and Tiffany, The Crush, it's a great hunting show, very popular, one of the best shows on the network. Been around for a long, long time. Yeah. And they're, but their fans don't watch, you know, they do 20 new episodes a year. Their fans don't watch every single episode. So, because that's just not the nature of TV. Like, if they only watch it when they're participating, so they're only watching September, October, they may only catch three or four episodes a year out of 20. So, we have 150 episodes of The Crush in our library, and chances are even their, their best fans have only seen 10% of their library. So, people say, well, yeah, it's, it's old shows. Well, these shows are evergreen. I mean, it doesn't, you know, sometimes the technology changes a little bit. Maybe their sponsors change a little bit. But, you know, shooting a, you know, shooting a mule deer uh, with a bow from the ground is the same today as it was 12 years ago. And, um, you know, so it's still, it's evergreen content. And we're finding there's, there's a good demand for it. And there, there again, you know, people ask, why isn't it free? Well, because it's worth money and these producers have paid to produce it. So we're licensing libraries from producers and offering it to consumers. So we're, we're packaging it for them in my outdoor TV. And, um, you know, just like everything, you know, everyone's, everything's moving digital. Well, you know, you, you've learned, as you said, to kind of avoid the fear in that, you know, everything's not moving any way, any one direction definitively, but, Everything is evolving, and we're evolving yeah. with it as well. And it just for me, it's been um, to one. When you hear about the death of something, I now think, well, probably not. <laughs> and then when new things come in, I just become interested, in, right? You know, in the new things, and I'm less like, like I said, man, I've been being told about. I'm doing a mag. I'm doing a magazine piece for outside right now. Um, and I sold my first story to Outside Magazine in 2000. And I was hearing about that, the end of that. I got a, I got a hardcover cookbook with Random House coming out. Spiegel and Grout, I mean, imprint yeah. Random House coming out this November. I've been hearing about how that's all calling it quits for my entire career. Right. You know, and newspapers, and I, I know my former boss wrote for a newspaper for 40 years, and, you know, he likes the ink on his hands Sunday, Sunday morning reading uh-huh. the paper. So I, you know, over you know, that, that, that may be someday going away, but the, the newspapers and they've all, they've all, they've all changed. I mean, they're, they're, you could argue that they were maybe too fat. Magazines were too fat and sort of things you just have to adjust, but you, you can adjust and you can survive. And, um, the content is still good. Yeah. I think the bottom line is whether it's long form TV or short form or you know print, and that the content is is uh, what's valuable. Yeah, it winds up being kind of like a like a gradual, just a gradual evolution of things. You know, right. new things coming up. But remember, like what we're doing right now, right? Right. This didn't exist. Right. This didn't at a time. This didn't exist, and now it's a thing that just you know it's growing beyond early adopter phase and it's becoming a thing that's like part of the american life yeah so i I read an article about um some youtubers who were um a guy and i don't remember what his what his thing was to be like he had 5.4 million subscribers to his channel it wasn't in the outdoor space it was something and and you know for years that base just grew and grew and grew and now those guys are seeing declines there seems to be we think of internet as being limitless, but 
there's only 24 hours in a day. There's only so much time you can do anything, whether it's watch TV or surf the web or do what have you. So there's, I think there's a natural max. And, you know, and it's possible in this hunting space, we've kind of, that's, that's part of where when you talk about all this content that's readily available, there's just, there's just too much that no one's going to win. You know, like it, it is at the risk of some of the higher quality content going away because if I'm a brand and I'm just going to support people doing free content for product and that, that high end's going to go away. But it um, seems to be that um, it's, not in, it's not infinite. There's a, there's, a, there's a natural cap. And like in, um, in, in like newspapers and that, I, I think maybe they push that limit. Well, now as technology's evolved, it's it's had to scale back. So we're, that's probably where we're at in TV as well. Yeah. Cal, just thinking about fishing. Yeah. All, I mean, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Fired up about giant muskies. Oh, anytime on the water is a good time. Yeah. Um, but do you have, do you have any, uh, any, any, uh, rapper uppers concluders? Uh, yeah. You know, just, I mean, thinking about all the stuff that, uh, was, talked about here today you know I, I think you're exactly right you know there's plenty of content out there um that speaking of mitch sorry mitch you are exactly right that there's plenty of content out there that i don't i i do not associate with and i and um then there's some that i do and you know my hope is that all the content out there is at least connecting the the real benefit is like connecting folks that don't have the amount of access to the outdoor space that we all do that they're connecting to it and they're they're going to have some hold that land and the outdoors in general in high enough regard to want to see it continue uh that would be my my best case scenario um but you know i think there the, is the, the the media would inspire advocacy yeah yeah, and uh, at least get people to care enough to, you know, want to make sure it, it exists, even if they're not out playing around in it. Um, you know, but, but you know, I think there's some content out there too that um, your your example of you know it, I may not relate to it, but there's a lot of folks out there who do. Like we get for every negative email, we get ten positive ones, and. Um, I think there's some content out there that can be used to sway that 80% of the public that doesn't hunt towards, you know, a negative opinion on hunting. Sure. And there's content out there that can push that 80% in the positive way, right? Right. For for me, that's an argument for our networks and our guidelines because we are controlling that. Whereas on YouTube, you can put, I saw something on YouTube, a guy shot a doe with a 50, uh, 50 BMG, 50 cal, like mm-hmm. sniper rifle. And, and in fact, he missed the doe, but the, the doe's head exploded from the concussion of like just the, whatever, the, the bullet passing over its head. It's like that has, and he thought that, that was pretty cool. He thought that was worthy of posting. That yeah. wouldn't, you know, obviously never, you know, make air on our network. And, and none of us would advocate, advocate doing that, but, you know, it's a free society, so that you, you'll have some of that on on the YouTube. Where whereas we have, we do control that. And um, but I mean, even on OSG stuff, you know, there, I mean, I've seen uh, you know things again that I just don't associate with, and 
and I'm a hunting fishing dude, and if I don't associate with it, chances are the non-hunters probably are going to be like, probably even question if it's legal, if it's right, you know? So, um, you know, net, net, I, not knowing for sure, I just hope that at the end of the day, there's, we're, we're gaining and we're not, not losing. Yeah. Yeah. There's not much of a concluder, just a thought. No, man, I'm digging there. that concluder though. I like it. It's thought. It's provocative. I, and my, and my, my hope in being on here was to help you understand that we are tr- looking out for that and we try and we're, you know, we're not perfect, but we, we have a, I think a pretty good process and a pretty good team in place to try to make sure that we're doing that and, and, and keep getting better. Because like I said, I think the net of the net is, hunting television can really help us and can help expand the sport and help people and help make people better hunters enjoy it more you know want to participate more in it when it's done right and as a network we take that responsibility very seriously that's good to hear yeah we premiered i don't know man 90 some episodes of meat eater on sportsman channel yeah over a long period of time and I, have to, I have to tell you i had a, you talked about uh you know that crossing that line i uh, somebody watched your monkey brain episode we ate the monkey brain and i monkey got a, leg i thought didn't you eat a brain no brain someone <laughs> did they, those boys that's did. indiana jones no i mean there there was no you ate much so you ate monkey yeah yeah right so i got a call from a producer and that producer said i just watched steve ranella eat a monkey on sportsman channel so I'm pretty sure I can do whatever I want to now, as long as somebody can. <laughs> but I would come in, and I would come in, and it winds up being a very different situation—not different, but it's like it's uh, you're in another country, traveling with indigenous peoples who have lived there for thousands of years, right. carrying on a traditional life practice of theirs and you witness them go and kill a monkey which they do and would be doing in the absence of a camera and you're present for that and then they prepare the monkey and you're served some monkey and you eat the monkey with them and um it's like someone could come and say he ate a monkey or you come be like well let's look at the the context right oh yeah in which it was done but sure right sure man um, it wasn't lost on me that that right. was uh, risque is the word. It wasn't lost on me that it's like a, a potentially hot issue. But if the context I, was I, frat boys being like, hey, I'll bet you a buck to you that monkey that like Shooting monkeys out of a zoo. It's like, <laughs> right. it's just a very different, right. it's just different. So yeah, you're, if, you, if you go by the, the test, and this is a thing I hear from people all the time, where be like, well, what if someone just drops in? What are they going to see? I'm like, okay, you know, if you're the kind of person that just drops in and plucks seconds out of its broader context, you're more likely to find things that are upsetting to you sure. than if you're the kind of person who comes in and takes those seconds and then sets them in their proper place. Right. Which is why in our guidelines we talk about um, if you know we you can hunt lions you know lion it's legal but we always recommend you you need to tell 
the story. You need to tell the conservation story or elephants or things like because it's it's controversial. And then, yes, if you take if you take a sliver of that content, you can make it look really really bad. When in the in the big picture, you know, we had um, Jenna Waller from Skullbound on Sportsman's Channel was getting harassed about a show she did. She and she took it was a some some sort of. Um, uh, antelope in africa her whole episode was about the preservation of hyenas if you watch that i mean yes they they hunted they hunted planes game and she shot some sort of like in a like a impala i think it was um but the whole they whoever complained about it and they were anti-hunters and that's that's probably my concluder that i want to talk about um you know they they ignore all the good and they just focus on that one little sliver and uh I think one one of my concluders is that we are our, our sport is controversial to many people, or this, and you know, the Cecil the Lion incident and that. I think that moved a lot of people off of neutral, maybe towards the negative. Sure, and yeah. you know, as sportsmen, we have a huge responsibility to to you know. I don't. You're not gonna. You're not gonna. You know, we're not going to. Um, um, engage with PETA and convince them that what we're doing is right. But we do need to make sure that when someone does drop in, what they see on our networks is they might not participate in it, but they should think that, well, yeah, I, I understand that. And, and we're, we're working on our conservation, some conservation initiatives. A lot of it is, you know, statistics show that if, you know, hunting for food is highly acceptable, like 71% of the general public accepts hunting for food but hunting for trophies and using like trophy hunting it's like 21 percent and it's it's such a just a it's a it's a goofy semantics right it's yeah so my my concluder is um i've seen in those cases and in the in the cases of you know where the producers had issues um we tend to do a lot of infighting and and like the the anti-hunters they don't need to engage with us because in many cases we're we're our own worst enemy in those situations and and so as a network we want to try to help be a positive force and bring people together and and educate people about our passion and the good things about hunting and and you know it's it's not just the kill and it's another thing i'll say in our guidelines you know we don't say that you, you need to shoot big animals or you need to in fact we we never say that it a 200 inch deer on camera doesn't rate any better than a 130 inch deer that like stan potts shoots is that it's, right no it doesn't it doesn't drive ratings i think advertisers want that because they want their products to be associated with, with extra that. successful right exactly yeah. but the uh, but then we're we're not focused on that we want the more of the authentic experience in that so um you know we just want it'd be nice uh part of my goal and beyond here is to help people understand that you know, we are actively trying to expand hunting and put our best foot forward and put the best content on tv that we can so that we, you know, we've all got kids. We want them to be able to participate at the same level we are. And uh, part of that is being able to get our message out. And it comes with a certain amount of risk. Yeah. Yanni? On that note, <clears throat> you have a pulse on like what's going on in the media and talking about the, the 80%. Do you guys have an idea of like how that 80% engages with the stuff that you're putting out there? Like where you sometimes reach them, or how they find you, or how you're trying to reach them. In in terms like reach them with just however like you're saying like if that person drops in right and mm-hmm. just somehow is randomly on Sportsman's channel, how, how does that happen? Do you guys know what that looks like, or do you guys know other channels or other avenues that somehow engages you and the eighty percent? 
Yeah, I mean, in terms of like tactics and how to draw viewers to our networks and that, you know, we'll like we do our own yeah. advertising well, yeah, promotion. You, yeah, you mentioned like Duck Dynasty, right? That brings right, right. So we want to we we. It's very expensive, as you know, to launch a show and to market it properly. And in fact, the the economies of scale in our industries, you you can't spend thirty million dollars on a new, on marketing a series like if you did a movie. You know, they'll they'll spend thirty, fifty, hundred million dollars to market that. So that's why we look at a Duck Dynasty who has this established brand to come in. So yes, that was a big part of it, and and it worked. And same with uh, Deadliest Catch. Uh, we also do movies on Outdoor Channel, and you know, Friday nights, Saturday nights, people like to watch movies so we do the movie but you if you watch a movie on outdoor channel you'll see there's trivia we use our hosts to actually have outdoor trivia we're working on some other things we want to bring in a new viewer and and let them know that this is what we're about we have other really cool content so you may have found us via the movie or found us via deadliest catch but look at everything else that's around got it Good. Yeah, that answered my question. Um, but you did in your notes when we were emailing. You mentioned uh, being an advocate for you know family hunting and whatnot. And earlier we talked about how we're thinking that you know it's debatable, right? But what hunter numbers are doing right mm-hmm. now? What uh, what's going on with with you guys? That uh, like, or what do you see? Even if it's not you guys, but what do you see? What do you feel like is working the best to bring on new hunters? Do you kind of want to ask why you're not seeing more squirrel hunting? Is that yeah the yeah the small game versus the big? No, that's not my question. Oh, okay, okay. Um, we do have squirrel could, hunting on. Speak, Jackie yeah. Bushman has a squirrel hunting competition every year. Nice. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Air gun. It's an air gun competition. Look into that. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like, there's probably a lot of people doing a lot of different things to bring in more hunters to grow the sport, and you probably get to kind of see all of it is there something you can point out that you say man that seems to really be working well you know we do we use all of our social media channels and all of our um our print and digital channels to to put the best foot forward for hunting and 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 bringing kids hunting and that and our ceo he's he advocates to producers to push more of that in your show but we by showing images and um and and really airing hunts that help people uh, understand how they can participate I, i i have um had an interesting conversation with a guy, and I, I won't say what state he's from because I don't want to. I don't want to blow his cover. But we were talking about hunting numbers and uh, using licenses as a measure for uh, participation. And um, what he explained was um, through contacts with wardens, they said in, in like major metropolitan areas, upwards of fifty percent of anglers don't buy a license. It's just, they they just don't, right? So, but those anglers are buying bait and they're buying rods and reels and tackle and they're participating. They're just not buying a license. So because of that, they felt in this state, because he worked with the DNR and it wasn't Montana, uh, it wasn't Michigan, just, you know, but uh, they felt that. You have narrowed down to 48 now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't want to get him in trouble. They, um, so the numbers of anglers is underreported. Hunting on the other side of the coin, there are like 27 states that are one buck only, but you can party hunt. So guys are buying tags for their wives, their daughter, or their mother, so they can have extra buck tags in in their um, in their in their camp, essentially. But those women aren't participating necessarily. So, you know, obviously some of them are, but so they're not buying bows. They're not. And that's, that's these guys were look, doing research on why more people aren't buying 
crossbows and compound bows is what they were researching. Yeah. And that was part of it. It was the um, women are, are not actually, and, and so we say, well, look at, look at the number of women who are buying licenses. Well, not a hundred. I'm not saying that it's, it's like 90% aren't participating. I know there are more women participating in hunting than previously, but it's, they think it's overstated because of that. And, and the States don't want to do anything about it because they might lose upwards of $500,000 in license sales if they change the rules. And then they lose federal matching funds. Yeah. So they're kind they of, they, they kind of allow it. So it, it's tough to say, Oh, you know, there's only 10 million hunters. Well, maybe there is, or maybe there, maybe there's not, or, you know, it's, it, it's, but we, but we know it's not as, it, it's not as acceptable now. And, and like with, with social media and some of the other, uh, just communication tools that are available that, you know, the, the Cecil the Lion thing couldn't have happened 15 years ago because that campaign would not have been able to be sustained by the anti-hunters for 30 days. Yeah. The distribution channel wasn't there. Wasn't there. Right. Yeah. So now, so it, it's, it's, and you uh, couldn't, you couldn't have popularized the image. Right. I mean, we've always had images that have come and we've always had images that have come and, and, you know, and really right. captured the American imagination and were widely distributed and very impactful, but right. it just happens in lightning speed and it happens more often. Right. Now. Yeah. Got anything else you want to add, Giannis? No, that does it for me. You liking them golf shirts, man, when you're traveling? This is my only one. Makes you feel like you're, uh, <laughs> makes you feel like you're, you're, cool and comfortable and, and but but still professional mm-hmm. is that your is that is that your feeling yeah exactly i can't did you get attacked by a bear or something you got you got claw marks it, it, on his leg it, it does look like that doesn't it and when, when it happened i was thinking that look at that got scratched up by a bear but i was r- running through the forest it's this new if you're not extreme enough there's this new thing i came up with called uh game trail running so if just trail running is not cool enough, you can do game trail running. Or, more, or extreme. more extreme than that is no trail running. So when the game trail disappears, just keep running just keep off going. through the woods. At this moment, I actually wasn't running. I was probably just like hiking uphill, um, heaving, trying to get my breath back. And yeah, I stepped on a log that had no more log left in it and just gave out and scratched up my leg. Um, it would have been cooler if you said, yeah, I yeah. got attacked by a bear. <laughs> While running, I have one. And you outran him. I have one golf shirt that I just wore uh, the other day for my tenth wedding anniversary, um, and I've had that one golf shirt for forever. And it's like if something special happens during the warm months, I wear that golf shirt, and uh, it's got a lot of holes in it now. That's why I'm. That's kind of why I'm curious in your go- about your golf shirt. Hmm. Moth got you, or just just you, time. It's funny, uh, just I, time. Time I, destroys all. I brought you guys golf shirts as a as a gift. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Good. And I'm not even, I'm not even lying. I'm so when I go. hit my when I hit my 20th anniversary, I'm putting that bad boy on. Are these known as golf shirts? <laughs> I, always, I always called them polo shirts because I think like everybody when we were kids. When I see so- a shirt like to be frank, when I see a shirt like that, I think that that person likes the golf polo shirt. Polo that's that's, yeah, that's what we a polo kids. shirt is. Well, because it used to. Like yeah. that, when we were kids, no, shirt. it's a polo shirt if it's got long sleeves. Don't they wear long sleeves? Nah, playing? It's a rugby shirt. <laughs> You're right. That's a polo shirt? That's a polo. Uh, but polo, a polo but shirt polo because from, it's like Kleenex is a tissue. Right, it was this Ralph Lauren. shirt because Ralph, Ralph Lauren had the little polo, polo by Ralph Lauren. on it. Yeah. That little guy on Not because they actually wore them. 
Well, I'll sort it out later. <laughs> Do my own research. I'll, thank you. I'll sort this one out after the he show. He does have a trout on there, and it's it's clearly Patagonia. So I don't I don't think that's a golf shirt. I am going to go have an Arnold Palmer here after this podcast <laughs> is over to quench my thirst. All right. Well, Mitch Petrie, uh, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your stop before attending your next concert. All Tacova's boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. Yeah, Steve, they're very comfortable, they're very fashionable, and I enjoy wearing mine around the office and anywhere I go. Stop by your local Tacova's store, have a complimentary drink, and shop new styles. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com, and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.